Well, episode 199 of the Emerger Cricket Podcast and one of the most triumphant in our history as we reflect on the Netherlands qualifying for the Cricket World Cup in India later this year. We'll discuss their success and prospects at the tournament, plus ICC meetings, Uganda travelling to Namibia, and Thailand making history in Europe. We also have three new patrons this week bouncing with Dutch success, or maybe Dutch courage, Alistair Reid, Tom Pearson, and Isaac De Bruyne. Thank you so much for joining the EC movement. And you too can sign up to our Patreon from as little as two US dollars a month. Enjoy this week's pod, episode 199. It is a very warm welcome in to the Emerging Cricket Podcast live and on Sport FM in Perth, Daniel Bezik alongside Nick Skinner. We have an associate team at the Cricket World Cup later in the year, Nick. The Netherlands qualifying through the heart-stopping Cricket World Cup qualifier. I still haven't recovered from everything that happened. I can't quite believe everything that happened. Uh, We'll talk about it in depth, but... I've got to say, there's been a a real spring in my step over the last couple of days. The Dutch kit has been given a whirl as well here at home. How's things in Iceland? I'm sure you're just as buoyant and bouncing as I am after what we've seen because what a magnificent end to the tournament uh, from from an emerging cricket standpoint, but but ultimately from a Dutch standpoint. Yes. uh, Well, I mean, Iceland is... Iceland's lovely. It's it's amazing. It's had blue skies for a week. Sunny year, 17, 20 degrees or so. Um, been wonderful time here, going to various uh, you know parks and and uh, outside activities. But uh, yeah, or oh, the cricket on the field. I mean, I had to rewatch that chase from the Netherlands because I was at work. But you know, put it on, had it on while I was going around the house, and I was I was still getting excited just watching it, thinking how do they how do they get there from here? You, you know, th- just the amazing hitting from Bastilator towards the end, and I'm sure we can get into it in a bit more detail, but gee, what a what a performance from the Dutch under pressure. And I mean, it's almost a bittersweet result because then you look at the teams that miss out and Scotland, obviously, and Zimbabwe, who were such amazing hosts uh, this time at the tournament. And, and it was a you know magnificent tournament. Netherlands, Scotland, Zimbabwe, all ending on six points and uh, two of them having to go home, just shows once again the absurdity of a 10-team World Cup. Cutthroat, yeah, is the, is the word. And in a relieving way, we have a 14-team World Cup in the next cycle. But just the the kind of first impressions that I got, well, the first feelings that I got coming out of watching a lot of those matches at the qualifier was, geez, this match would have been good in Chennai. This match would have been good in Bangalore uh, at a 14 or 16 or however big you wanted a World Cup. It was... Yeah, in that regard, very bittersweet. And as you mentioned, you know, Scotland missing out so marginally once again is heartbreaking for them. We'll talk about that in great detail. And as you said, Zimbabwe were great hosts and listening to a lot of people in Zimbabwean cricket talking about how they've really turned things around there, I think is is quite special. And I don't think we've seen the end of that sort of storyline as well in international cricket. It's really actually quite difficult to kind of work out where to start here because we've just been overwhelmed, I think, by so many good things that have happened in this particular World Cup qualifier. First of all, it was just a bloody good tournament. Um, Ten teams gunning. I think looking at the way it was played, I think most of the teams in the Super Sixes would have felt like they still had a chance even moving into the Super Sixes. I'm maybe with the exception of Oman, who who came into that uh, phase with with no carryover points. We, we thought maybe, you know, West Indies by some miracle might have been able to stitch some sort of semblance of a campaign together to make a final push for the World Cup. Ultimately, it, they, they didn't. They were comprehensively beaten by Scotland. And we talked about that on last week's show where, you know, I, I don't think we've seen a more dominant associate performance over a full member. Uh, but I think, you know, it's worth reiterating that this tournament, I think, showed that while there is somewhat of a, of a decline in, in West Indian cricket, it's more of a of an upwards lift by everyone else in the associate world. And we'll talk about the Super League and, and all of the good consequences that had for a team like the Dutch, I think, as we get a little bit deeper into this topic, Nick. But I think just looking at the result, you know, them having to beat Scotland with that chase inside, uh, give or take 44 overs, 
they managed to do it with a little bit to spare off the back of one of the greatest individual performances that we've ever seen on a cricket field at any international level and across any format with Buzz Delater making a hundred and taking a five wicket haul in the same match. He was the fifth person to do it, the fourth man to do it. Amelia Kerr, the only woman, Viv Richards, Paul Collingwood, Ron Mustafa, uh, who was at the tournament, and then uh, Buzz Delater. Going through what was, you know, that de facto final, Scotland were good. And again, we'll, I suppose we'll talk about the infinitesimal margins that mean that they once again missed out on the World Cup. But to bring it to the Dutch to start with, they did just enough with the ball. They were pretty good in the field, I think, throughout the tournament. The running between wickets, I think, was excellent as well in the batting. Uh, and they just put together enough you know, of a partnership at the top between O'Dowd and Vikram Singh, who were good together. And then Baz coming through at the end in one of the greatest individual performances we've seen on the field. He looked a little bit tired coming into the tournament, actually racing from county duty. He took a little bit of time just to get himself in, but my gosh, what an ending for him and what an ending for the Netherlands to, to finish it off and to, to grab that final spot for uh, India 2023. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> there was a lot of discussion about this, you know, having to chase a pretty hefty target, 278. 278, you know, I think inside 43 overs or 44 overs maybe uh, was, was the net run rate cutoff for them and, and they got there in 42.5, which is pretty good effort and... Um, <laughs> They're looking like they're in a bit of trouble, but then you know, I guess they uh, they channeled the spirit of um, of Silet. The uh, you know, we we all remember that match against Ireland where you know they they were set 190 to win inside. I think it was inside 14 overs in a T20 game at the uh, 2014 T20 World Cup, and and you know, in order to qualify for the main round, and they had to surpass Ireland on net run rate, and they they got there in the end. But uh, yeah, similar sort of vibes to this one with uh, an amazing performance through the middle, as you say, from from best to later. He was solid early, and you know, this was just a really high quality innings. You know, the the uh, there was a lot of good bowling uh, from the Scots. They were they were building pressure and and keeping the run rate sort of creeping up and up, and you know he just cut loose towards the end there with uh, a huge assault on on Mark Watt especially who'd been so frugal, uh, so you know earlier on in the innings and um, effortlessly sweeping it and um, that those wrist powers. I was thinking even a couple of years back to that tri series where he hit I think it was eighty odd in a series in Nepal where which also involved. Malaysia and obviously the hosts and, and yeah that that 80 odd he got was uh, was filled with those kind of really wristy shots and and showed great power and you know he's shown glimpses of it uh, here and there but to really pull it together on the big stage like this where <laughs> World Cup qualification is on the line it doesn't get you know cometh the man cometh the moment it doesn't happen much more than this and looking around at at the achievement of this Dutch team you know maybe we can get into it a bit more but like these players have been kind of assembled from spare parts in a way with with so many of their first choice players missing and and this is the you know top classes slash super league 11 that has got them through the super league and and finally it's it's come good and that experience uh, and you know playing high quality international cricket over you know a number of years now has allowed them to you know, be able to win in the pressure moments. And I think it showed against Scotland because in that chase, as the Netherlands were starting to ramp up their attack, you, you saw the Scots fielding really fall away. They dropped uh, or, or kind of didn't get to in position properly for quite a few chances in the deep. And they let the the Dutch grab a few crucial extra runs uh, just by, you know, with some sloppy fielding and you know, missing dives and, and, and that kind of thing. And, and just let the Dutch as they did against the West Indies, push for the twos out of the ones and, and to put pressure on the fielders. And this is a, an interesting approach. We discussed it with Rod, but you know, it's a team that's sort of playing within the limits that they have and, and finding ways to win within that. And it's a it's a, a huge achievement to make it. You know, they're the 15th ranked team in ODIs and, you know, take that with a pinch of salt because, you know, the ODI rankings. <laughs> oh, but Nick... But Nick, but Nick, let's just let's just decide the World Cup on rankings, right? They definitely make sense. Yeah. Well, yes, that's another. This that's another case question, in point. Goodness gracious. Um, yeah, the rankings are its own can of worms. But for the 15th ranked team to slip in there uh, in the 10th spot, uh, pretty impressive. Ahead of a number of teams which had, you know, uh, were a lot more fancied by a lot of other people, including me. Uh, I, I thought I thought Zimbabwe would get in there behind Sri Lanka and. 
yeah, as I said earlier, just a bit bittersweet that a team as likable as Zimbabwe and a team as, as scrappy as Scotland, who you know we've seen achieve so much, even in the face of guys like Kutzer and McLeod retiring, you know, we don't get to see both of them on the world stage uh, at the World Cup. And to your point, you know, all these games have been, you know, all these all these exciting close matches that we've been seeing at this tournament, which has been an absolutely sensational tournament, one of the ICC's best on their calendar. They're not at the World Cup. They're they're sectioning off all these all these exciting matches and saying, well, all these matches are great, but we don't want to include them in the actual main event. It's it's madness from a from a cricket product perspective, anyway. And looking to the fourteen team World Cup in twenty twenty seven, you would like to think that in the qualifying process, Namibia would be stronger uh, on paper with everyone back. You know, had they been at this qualifier too, I would argue that it would have been stronger as well over say, the likes of UAE or the USA with with all due respect to, to both of those teams. But it means that, you know, for the likes of Scotland and, and others who fell so agonizingly short here in Zimbabwe, uh, there's no guarantee of a 14-team World Cup entry either in 2027. But to kind of keep it with the Dutch and their success, you know, this is clearly a consequence of the Cricket World Cup Super League, everything that happened at that tournament, 13 teams, 12 full members plus them, they entered that by virtue of winning the last uh, World Cricket League Championship in 2017. And the the main consequence of this all was that, yes, they were missing, you know, at least half a dozen, seven, eight guys in this squad, either due to county commitments or, or someone like Tom Cooper who wasn't there. We'll probably talk about you know, who out of those guys will get a chance to re-enter the fray come the World Cup. But you think about it, you know, this started with Ryan Campbell at the start of Super League, building a culture and building a squad that he wanted to compete at the top level with, even though he didn't have what they perceived were the best players available at that time. Uh, They didn't have a great run in particular. They had relative success against against Ireland at home, but uh, finished comfortably last in that tournament. But you just look at the, the learning and the lessons that they, they took from that tournament. And it's no secret that they developed their game based off playing against high quality opposition. Buzz is one example uh, who was able to play by virtue of now Ryan Campbell being at Durham and, and letting him go for the tournament. And we need to thank I think, Ryan, for for what he's done here. And actually, there's a nice clip from an old uh, episode of the pod that we'll probably get out where he was so vehement in Buzz. And it was such a a nice moment for him once Buzz blossomed onto the world stage like he did here at this tournament. But yeah, again, looking at at the Super League, they were able to blood plays, you know, the likes of the Tejanita Manuras who came in and, and, and made such a massive impact to this tournament. The bowling attack that we will probably say gets a little bit of a shuffle, but the batting lineup, Vikramjit Singh coming on in leaps and bounds. We knew he was a good player, but that exposure to international level is just so good. Max O'Dowd, again, him, the pair of them working together. And Scott Edwards, his leadership at this tournament was not only excellent, but his batting is lifted as well. If you look at the numbers between him not as captain and him as captain, uh, the average and the strike rate in one-day international cricket just rockets upwards. And you can tell that he really likes taking that responsibility on. And he was so crucial in Zimbabwe in, in making important runs, especially on the sweep against spin bowlers. I, I thought they were they were brilliant. And, you know, it's no guarantee that a lot of the county guys who were missing at this tournament seamlessly transition back into the team because, you know, hand on heart, I don't envy whoever's making this selection come the World Cup squad a little bit later on because you've got the 15, 16 that were there plus, you know, another seven, you know, off the top of my head, there's probably 20 guys in the reckoning to to make this uh, World Cup squad come the end of September and the start of October. Yeah, it's suddenly a, a pretty good problem for them to have, really, is you've got a bunch of guys who've... It's like when, um, <laughs> you know, the the old thing of the, the actor is uh, is away and the understudy does a fantastic job and then you're in a, a bit of a sticky situation. But, um, yeah, I mean, you'd, you'd imagine guys like uh, Colin Ackerman would, would slot back into the middle order. I think uh, throughout the tournament, their batting was probably the weaker of the two disciplines, which sounds funny because they succeeded in this amazing chase with Baz scoring that ton and um, they tied with the West Indies with uh, 374. But 
you know, it did look brittle on occasion. I think someone like Ackerman certainly adds to them. Whereas, for example, Ashakib Azulfikar, I'm not fully sold on. You know, he played a couple of useful knocks, but I, th- I just find him a bit limited as a player. You know, he can sort of thrash it through the offside and he doesn't really have that many, uh, you know, that much of a range. So I think he'd be uh, pretty likely to be found out, you know, taking the step up to the World Cup. But yeah, I mean, looking on the bowling side, I, I imagine... Floyd kind of slots out in that spin role. I found him a bit underwhelming in this tournament, uh, whereas someone like a, a Pringle or a you know a Rule of Fandomover can come back in and, and provide that uh, you know experienced option with the ball. But yeah, I think quite a few of the the pace guys. I mean, does Shane Snader make a make a first choice Dutch eleven? Probably not, if we're being honest. Tom Cooper is an interesting question because I, I think he's. Uh, he wasn't so much dropped as uh, th- there's a bit of tension between him and um, you know some aspects of of the board, which uh, isn't super healthy. So does he come back for the World Cup? I mean, yeah. So there's there's certainly some some tricky questions there uh, for them. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot to like about this this Dutch lineup, and I mean, especially at the top, I, I think. Vikram Singh and Max O'Dowd are one of the better opening partnerships at the moment in in associate cricket. They're settled. Uh, they obviously understand each other pretty well. I I just wish Vikram Singh. I know this is uh, probably a bit uh, <laughs> a bit nitpicky, but you know I I do just wish Singh would go on a little bit more with 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 Knox, where you know once he gets a start, he sort of has a tendency to look really good for sort of 30 or 40, and then play a silly shot which can be frustrating to watch as as a you know as an a, an associate cricket fan so yeah i guess that's kind of the the last missing piece for him and and his game um but yeah i, I mean do they take wesley Baresi? that's that's another interesting question i think he showed enough yeah you know especially against the spin of sri lanka if yep. they hadn't had that really really dumb run out i think they were a pretty good chance of winning that game you know he just bossed he just bossed hasaranga you know, <laughs> dumped him into the crowd a couple of times. So yeah, I, I think I think Baresi probably does make the plane. But geez, yeah, it's a, it's some tough decisions to make. Well, they were the closest to unravel and beat Sri Lanka at the qualifier, and I know in the tournament final, which ultimately didn't mean a whole lot, they were done pretty convincingly. But to look at their meeting earlier in the tournament, you know, had a couple of things gone their way, they were a good chance of actually beating Sri Lanka. And, and to be honest... Only lost by 21 runs. Yeah, which there was a, an air of inevitability once the Dutch lost a few wickets there at the back end that they were always going to fall short. But it, it wasn't really the case for the entirety of that game. There were certain moments where they were definitely on top and, and Sri Lanka's batting were tested. And actually, to, to look at, at Sri Lanka as, as the yardstick of this tournament, yes, their batting was probably quite frail. And I think... Uh, at the World Cup, that will be seriously tested. But their bowling is world-class. And in Indian conditions, I almost would say that Sri Lanka, despite being at this qualifier and missing out on automatic qualification going back through the Super League, they could probably make a case of, of maybe pushing some of the teams higher up in that World Cup and maybe pushing on for a semi-final berth. You know, looking at the way that they actually missed out on automatic qualification, they had a couple of washouts. I think they had three washouts, no results. They were really poor at the start of the cycle but then as the years have gone on and they've, they've brought the kids in a little bit they've actually been one of the, the the better teams you know in t20 world cup cricket they've been uh fairly good especially in that uae tournament in 2021 i know they got done by namibia the, the second time around but yeah it was probably more on the batting side so i think you know the dutch should actually be quite excited by their prospects in india you know okay yeah semi-finals might be out of the question but there's no reason why they can't nab one or two matches at that tournament and just looking at the the list maybe we can just go through here nick of those players that we've, we've sort of mentioned you know who out of these this group go in roller fandom over yes we think that he he's basically nailed on not only as an all-rounder but his left arm orthodox is is an upgrade to, to clayton floyd's uh colin ackerman uh also probably yes will will slide in at at some stage uh, Fred Clarsen, yes, you have to say, you know, the, the fast bowling was good in that Logan Van Bake picked up a lot of the slack there uh, as an all-rounder and then Buzz later took 15 wickets, I think, before he left to go back to Durham. But you would think that they'd get a little bit more out of them. Paul Van Makeren, uh is another one who did so well at the T20 World Cup last year um, and is a good chance of going. Brandon Glover is the same. 
And then it gets a little bit murky, you know. Tim van der Hoogten, to me, is a good four-day bowler and, and Glamorgan get a lot out of him. But to be honest, like I can't quite see how he beats out everyone else now, especially if they want to look to more spin options. Tom Cooper, I think, is probably the big question mark, what they, they do with him in the first place. I'm not sure what he's doing in Australian cricket as well coming into this season. Uh, Shane Snader's probably in the Tim van der Hoogten vicinity of where he probably is at. And Tim Pringle is one that they will definitely think about, but is no guarantee either. And, you know, you have to think too that uh, Michael Rippon's not available anymore because he's playing uh, international cricket for New Zealand. So, you know, there's been so many directions this Dutch squad has been pulled apart and for them to to still, you know, be such a high-quality outfit. You know, a lot has to go out to not only Scott Edwards, but, you know, Ryan Cook leading this team now. He seems to to, to get a great tune out of the, the team that they've got. We spoke about Cambo and his role in building this team. Peter Saylor is is someone that I think a lot of people can thank for, for what we've seen here as well. They're an amazing outfit, and you can just tell that the, the spirit of that team is is so strong as well. Watching some of the celebrations, Teja Nidamanuru shaving his head after he agreed to, to do it if they qualified, went through with the bet, singing on the bus. They actually really enjoyed being in Zimbabwe. Max O'Dowd on the boundary a few times was there singing with the Zimbabwean fans, got them on side as well. So they were really smart with their, their cricket, and I think they just really enjoyed being there, they've got the analogy of, of rowing the boat and they've all got their little oars in the in the dressing room. They seem a pretty well-drilled unit and I think they'll give it a good nudge uh, come October. I think now, just to, I suppose, tie a bow on, on the Dutch point, international fixtures coming up for them, uh, there are none. So the preparation for them, it needs to be obviously so good. But, you know, we're wondering, you know, because they're not in the FTP, the Future Tours program, outside of a couple of instances where they randomly pop up out of nowhere. I think Pakistan will go and, and play there. Pakistan, are, I think, as we mentioned in one of the previous pods, one of the only balls to, to really get around uh, playing associate members, but they don't really have anything lined up, you know, and preparation is going to be so key in, in how they attack this World Cup. Obviously, you know, you need to learn by doing, you need to play in, in similar conditions, Maybe they go and play state teams in India as as kind of like an emergency stopgap measure, but that's the big problem now, right? They they came in, everyone almost in the same boat here at the qualifier, not playing a terrible lot of cricket. Now they go to a World Cup where everyone gets a really beefed up preparation, and and quite frankly, comparatively, they they don't have a lot to work with at this point. Well. In terms of the preparation, uh, yeah, they don't have a whole lot on their fixture list, but then. After the World Cup, it's even more barren. You know, you, you we we heard the example of the West Indies uh, last week, where uh, you know they've got a series against India now, and then they're playing Australia, and you know, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. I think they've got uh, England at some point, maybe next year. You know, a lot of cricket for them, and the West Indies, who have been beaten by two associates at this tournament, uh, are definitely not based on on-field performances. You know, deserving of that many more games. But, you know, because they're in that system, they're in the little club, you know, they, they don't get left off. Whereas, yeah, the Dutch don't have a whole lot coming up before the World Cup to prepare. And then, you know, we, we saw how dismal their performances were at the T20 World Cup in, in 2021 when they basically played no cricket until <laughs> until their warm-up games and they really struggled. And then, you know, compare that to... 2022 where they they did get a bit more cricket in before the the tournament started and guess what they played a bit better so uh, yeah it it is disappointing that they don't have more series lined up I mean you imagine they'll try and organize something you know Ireland Scotland maybe but then again as you say you're looking for matches being played in similar conditions and you know, where, where can you go for that? Maybe Nepal becomes the sort of go-to um, <laughs> subcontinent practice area for, for some, I don't know. But um, yeah, it, it is it is just frustrating the kind of inequalities in the world game being made manifest once again. Uh, just, just on your point about the players, just to go back for one moment, I might disagree a little bit about Tim van der Huchten. I think the kind of bowler that he is, you know, bowls a lot of uh, sort of seam cutters, can mix up his pace. Uh, he's a very crafty guy. 
I think he might be very handy on some tired Indian tracks, depending on uh, you know how many matches get played on certain venues and and which venues the Dutch are at. I haven't uh, I haven't checked the full schedule, which finally came out recently. <laughs> um, but if they're playing on some tired decks, I think uh, Tim might be a good option for them. Whereas Glover, who you're pretty keen on, yes, he has that raw pace, but he's been pretty underwhelming in his time uh, so far with Durham, so I'm, I'm not convinced that he's necessarily on the plane either. But yes, in terms of the preparation and uh, you know ongoing maintenance of their quality, I mean, they've had the Super League for the last few years, uh, and now they have nothing, so are they going to just regress after that? Or it's, it's just so disappointing. And then, <laughs> yeah, we saw, you know, <laughs> ICC, uh, big wigs, coming out and saying that, oh, isn't it wonderful that we had the Super League, which allowed the Netherlands to prepare so well for this? Well, yes, it was good. Why did you get rid of it? Yeah, and it might be worth noting too that we've seen Greg Barclay come out and kind of give almost an impassioned plea to see it come back. It's a little bit too little too late for mine, although you've got to, I think, kind of acknowledge that a decision in regards to something like Super League comes uh, at the mercy of the big boards that seemingly have a little bit more power over all of this. Well, and I mean, the the MCC just this week uh, was recommending that we have basically no ODI cricket between World Cups. And so instead of going back to the Super League and consequential ODI cricket, they just want to bin the whole thing. So yeah, that kind of, that seems to indicate where the sort of headspace of certain elements within the the full member world are thinking which is yeah pretty disappointing yeah and it is worth noting too that the icc meetings are on this week and, and tim's on the ground there in durban we'll hopefully have uh some news there but i can just see him sort of at the back of the back of the conference hall just kind of shaking his head and shrugging his shoulders listening to to some of the chat in regards to things like cricket world cup super league there were some quotes from Greg Barclay, the ICC chairman. Quote, I don't think there is any doubt that the Super League was hugely helpful in terms of a pathway to associate countries. The fact that you are seeing some of the performances from the associate members over there in large part was due to the fact that they've had the experience of playing teams ranked above where they are. Now, it needs to also be acknowledged that there was only one associate yeah, team that was interesting. in that Super League. So I'm not sure if that quote was kind of molded and... and and re- sort of reshaped by the the copy that was written around it in that particular article, um, and maybe he was kind of imp- implying over here being the the qualifier and the teams playing in that qualifier um, might be sort of where he's he's sort of meaning on that front. But yeah, again, we're at the behest of of the big international governing bodies in in regards to this because they're the ones that that put the FTP together and okay, yes, you might be able to stitch a Super League together by with the FTP that is currently up and running, but that FTP doesn't include the Dutch. So, you know, good luck managing to fit eight more one-day international series over the period that includes another team when, you know, for so long, all these teams have been crying out about the schedule being too packed, which is insane because if you go back to what Burtis was talking about in that qualifier playoff show that you had, you know, that's the lifeblood of a, of a member board is international cricket. And if you're selling out for quick bucks and franchise cricket, then in the end, that, that there's nothing that cricket needs from you anymore. You know, if you're not hosting international cricket, what is the point of you, right? And it's going to be a very interesting cycle in regards to this because we're only going to see more franchise cricket popping up around the place. And uh, yeah, it, it was funny listening to that MCC comment uh, as well this week that said that you know we should basically put one day international cricket on the back burner. Nothing like cricket or you know the games uh, organization the, that puts together the laws of the game. Nothing like them proving that they haven't watched any other cricket outside of the Ashes in the last three weeks than saying that after the World Cup qualifier that we just had. One day international cricket in the associate game and, and the lower end full members is in, by comparison, in a really healthy spot. You know, League Two was immense. The Challenge League is a good pathway. Uh, and then what we saw out of Super League at times, I thought was good in that we had cricket with with context. You know, for the MCC to come out there with that tone-deaf statement at such a time like this, I feel is quite baffling. And to be honest, the MCC is an organization that right now doesn't, shouldn't really be talking about anything, quite frankly, after the <laughs> week that they had at Lords. 
um, during the, the Lord's Ashes test. So, yeah, just just food for thought there, Nick. I, I thought that was uh, all a little bit head-scratching, if I'm perfectly honest. Well, I mean, <laughs> gee, I I'm find myself in the strange position of uh, defending the MCC after just slating them. But they, they, to be fair, they did release a couple of other good ideas in that list of recommendations. You know, they had, uh, obviously, the test fund uh, to make a reappearance, which would be great uh, because, yeah, obviously it's not good enough that you know teams have to spend so much money to host tests and and basically only three countries can afford them you know that's really uh, completely unsustainable separate fund for women's development projects that can go to you know specific projects it's similar to what fifa has where yes they have the yearly disbursements to all the um you know all the member organizations but then they also have uh, separate funds which go to specific projects like you know for example running development programs or building a stadium or i mean according to certain accusations um uh, some some underhanded uh you know changeover of money but you know we don't need to get into that whole issue with fifa um but yeah so i I think that sort of thing for women's cricket would be excellent and you know if it's a way of bypassing kind of the icc uh, hegemony and, and you just have let's say rwanda has a good idea for for taking women's cricket even further than you know where they are now and you're developing it a bit more and they could apply directly that would be great or thailand who have been making such progress with women's cricket you know if, if they could apply to you know improve their training facilities or you know contract more domestic players or something like that you know if if you could have something like that i think it would be really transformative for the game so i will give the mcc a little bit of credit for for thinking through uh, some good ideas but on the other hand yeah binning one day cricket when arguably it's never been better is a very strange idea at a time when the problem is that we're just getting these meaningless bilateral series and we already had the solution you know a league imperfect as it was and yeah to then say oh let's just let's just cancel everything i don't know it's very very strange shall we move on to some of the early news out of the icc meetings nick it it is somewhat uh, relevant to the conversation, uh, as mentioned, yeah, Tim is in Durban on behalf of uh, Vanuatu, and we'll hopefully have some more news uh, out of him over the coming days. But we did get an early result: the uh, Chief Executives Committee vote that goes on. Richard Doan had made a case of of being elected into that. He unfortunately missed out by a single vote, and we'll talk about that in a moment as a potential. Uh, potentially missed opportunity, I think, for associate members. But Mubashir Usmani and Rajpal Bajwa of UAE and Canada, respectively, they were re-elected into that committee. Uh, Denmark's Umer Butt comes in uh, at the expense of Sumor Damador, who makes way. Damador was one of the few people publicly on the record criticizing the proposed revenue distribution model uh, about to come through, uh, and we're waiting for that to all be confirmed at the meetings as well it made a lot of news when it was originally proposed and it see it saw quite an outcry from from our fans and associate cricket fans and even world cricket fans the world over um looking at the way that that has sort of manifested itself but Richard Doan, who's now the Cricket P&G CEO, has been in ICC High Performance and other committees, uh, worked with the ICC for many years, went to the USA, was there and was sort of part of that unceremonious clean out of, of people. As a result of all of that, he was he was made way there as well. Uh, Cricket P&G with a bit of a coup in terms of, of picking him up as, as their CEO is a seriously good appointment. And, you know, he made it quite clear that he wanted to, to gun for that position. And I think, you know, from us, we, we, we know about uh, his experiences both within the ICC and, and working in, in other key parts of the associate world. I think we, the consensus between Tim, yourself, Nick and, and me, we, we all thought that, you know, he's a, a perfect sort of candidate to, to be part of that didn't come to fruition. And as disappointing as it is, you know, we, we have the likes of Umar Butt coming in, who we've heard uh, relatively good things about. But again, you know, no Richard Doan on that committee. It just feels like a, a slightly missed opportunity. Yeah, I mean, Doney in his time at the ICC 
was an excellent servant of cricket. I, I think he is one of the guys who has his heart in the right place. And as well as having his heart in the right place, he has a good head to go with it. You know, he, he was a big part of the system that has basically produced this amazing tournament. You know, he, he was instrumental in designing League Two and the Challenge League beneath it. Um, and, and, you know, how that all feeds into the Super League and, and the qualifiers. He was there for a very long time and, um, yeah, was, was a huge part of uh, associate success over the sort of last decade or so. Um, I think the USA getting rid of him, uh, that was just a a huge mistake on their part. He was um, the kind of guy that you want in your corner if you're trying to develop the game. But, you know, USA's loss is PNG's gain. I think PNG especially with a a pretty good level of interest in the sport, but maybe not great organization. Donny's mind and the way he has a very methodical way of thinking about things, I think that'll help a lot in PNG. And that is why it's such a missed opportunity, as you say, uh, to not have him on the CEC because, uh, as, as Bertus de Jong tweeted, you know, that level of institutional knowledge, you know, he knows the ICC inside out, that level of uh, commitment to the associate game, and that level of, uh, you know, shrewdness, uh, I think, is really something that associates need to have in their corner. And, you know, they, that, that would be... Uh, a huge boost to uh, you know advocacy for associates and advocacy for uh, growing the game within the ICC. Whereas uh, you know, with all due respect to the current and incoming uh, members, you know, Usmani seems to be a little bit more focused on the international league uh, T20 happening in in the UAE and Bajwa in Canada. I mean, look, I, don't don't get me started on cricket Canada, but um, yeah. I, I just think, yeah, as you say, a huge missed opportunity. And I mean, you know, associates, uh, they're in a tough spot, but a lot of the time they really don't help themselves, do they? You know, you, you have the opportunity to, to bring in someone who does have a, a high level of competence and then you just don't. So, yeah, disappointing. As mentioned, uh, we'll have probably some more news in regards to the meetings coming through uh, via Tim and, and everyone else there. It's a a bit of a, a jamboree with uh, quite a lot of people in the associate world representing their relative associate members there at, at those meetings. have seen a few guys pop up at that and hopefully they are enjoying each other's company but ultimately sort of pushing the associate game along with consensus and, and hopefully the, the voice of, of reason. Shall we go back to some actual cricket on the field to kind of wrap up this week's yes, show? Let's. We've got... Cricket in Europe and in Africa, uh, Africa even outside of the, the Cricket World Cup qualifier where Namibia have played Uganda. But we'll start in Europe with a tri-series going on between the Netherlands, Scotland and Thailand's women. Thailand actually made some history this week. They were the first non-European side to appear on the European Cricket Network, which is a fun fact. Uh, I don't know, it might tell us that Western has some even loftier plans than just continental Europe. But, you know, ultimately it's a, it's a great tournament to to put together we'll start actually with the ODI series that was played out between uh, Netherlands and and Thailand first 1-1 in that particular series there was a washout as well and then Thailand made a a pretty decent start uh, in terms of thumping Scotland in that first T20I although they are missing a few players the Scots but yeah starting uh, with the one day is uh, honours even Nick yeah it was always going to be interesting to see how Thailand uh, sort of acclimated to the Netherlands, because Thailand won very comprehensively in their corresponding series that was played late last year uh, in November, and yeah, the, the Dutch certainly looked like they were having trouble in the in the Thai weather there. You know, obviously very hot and sweaty, and no one loves playing cricket in those conditions. Um, although it has been really quite warm in uh, in Europe actually recently, so maybe uh, not so much of a challenge for the Thais to get used to that. But uh, yeah, as you say, first ODI, the Netherlands posted 204 and, and bowled out Thailand for 147 the second was a washout and then thailand got to 187 for nine in their 50 overs before <laughs> well the dutch batting totally collapsed you know bowled out for 63 uh with uh the, you know the wickets shared around and basically no one was able to score any runs uh, but yeah I, I mean looking especially to someone like a, a chanita sudarang who 
open the bowling in the match against yes. Scotland. We can get into that one. She took three for basically nothing, swinging around corners again. She looks to be in, in much better shape. I, I'm not sure what happened. There was sort of a couple of years there where she was really struggling for form, both with bat and ball. Uh, it seems like she's sort of gone away and worked on it a bit and, and she's um, managed to get her get her movement back, which is, I mean, that's always been her, her biggest weapon as a bowler and, and that's why she's been such a threat is her just ability to swing it especially into the right-hander and create, yeah, some very awkward deliveries, which, you know, especially at associate level, uh, <laughs> yeah, they're just not equipped to deal with. So very good signs for Thailand, even though, uh, yes, they thrashed Scotland, who were without the Bryce sisters, but, um, you know, bowled them out for 65 and then chased it down in about 10 overs. Uh, and then against the Netherlands in that the first T20 match, Thailand were bowled out for 90-odd, which the Dutch chased pretty comfortably in 18 overs or so. But yeah, maybe some question marks for the Thai batting here. But yeah, the the bowling looks to be uh, on, on the up. Obviously, you know, a lot of the usual suspects, Butcher Tam, Fanita Myers looked good, Buddha Wong, um, you know, all in the wickets as usual. But yeah, I, I liked also in that T20 that the Dutch batting, you know, Heather Zierges, the captain, looked good, spanked a few boundaries, looked pretty confident. Babette Delayed was solid as always. Yeah, so not not sure how much we can tell from, you know, only a couple of matches, but been been an entertaining series so far. And you alluded to the European Cricket Network. I think it's uh, an exemplary stream for associate cricket. You know, we have commentary, we have multiple cameras, we have good solid stream that's not uh, not collapsing with uh, we'll be right back it, that if every single associate cricket match that happened in the ICC's pathway events was of the same standard I think uh, it would go a long way to making uh, a much better product for viewers and you know potentially for the ICC to make a bit of money off will be interesting to see the pathway events uh, streaming contract is obviously up and, and up for renewal once the new cycle does start and we think that that would probably be from February next year we assume with that lead two format coming in on the on the men's side uh what you've just said there i think is all pretty true i mean i don't think we've learned anything more from from thailand that we didn't know already thailand's batting is probably still a little bit too reliant on the likes of of chantem and and chai Wai and, and a couple of others and yeah no coincidence that the odi match they won chantem scored a half century yeah and again looking to the, the t20s you know that it's starting to to bring in a couple more players at the top of the order. We know that Rosalind Cano has been around for a little bit. She's actually been banned from bowling, so I think she's been trying to focusing, uh, focus on her batting. Suenan Kiahato has come into the side and, and opened with, with Cano. And then, yeah, Chantum at three, Contronka at four, Fanita Meyer five, Chaiwai six. Chaiwai almost there kind of as like a, a stopgap trying to piece together in innings. So they are sort of crying out for, for maybe one more good batter, but... The fielding and the bowling is almost at a world-class standard at this point now. You know, watching that Scotland game, and yeah, as you mentioned, the Bryce sisters and a couple other players were missing on the, on the Scotland side, but it was stifling, you know, watching it. You just didn't really know where where the next Scotland run was coming from, and they had to take a risk. And yes, you know, in 2020 cricket, that is a, a weird thing to say, but, you know, forcing to go to a shot that batters don't really want to go to in order to manufacture runs. The Pachaputawong goes from strength to strength, just craftiness with the left arm orthodox, you know, has that ball that actually moves into the right hand uh, with the seam almost swinging in and the arm ball, but is just so, just relentless with her line and length there. And the speed that she bowls at as well, you know, for, for women's left arm orthodox spin, she actually probably bowls a little bit quicker than most. Yeah. And it's just impossible to play for so many players at this level. And, you know, if they are to feature in another global tournament in the near future, I think she'll play a, a huge role. She's kind of what Mark Watt is to Scotland is is the Pachapujawong to to Thailand. I know it's a it's a like for like and it's a pretty simple sort of comparison to be made, but yeah, so so similar in, in, in their ways. And yeah, this has been a good series put up. You know, these teams with one day international status on the women's side, they haven't really had the chance to kind of use that ODI status a lot as yet, although I have heard murmurs that that 
might potentially change a little bit, or at least you know it's the it's the goal of of some people in in relative positions of power that want that changed. And hopefully, there's um, some less innuendo and and more uh, structural news that I can kind of deliver on that front. But it's a good time for. Thai women's international cricket and the Dutch seem to be a, a side that are, are on the up as well by virtue of, of playing more games of cricket. I think they'll, they'll enjoy this uh, particular tri-series and we'll talk about it more in depth, I think, once it reaches its conclusion. Yeah, and uh, just reinforcing that point about the bowling and the fielding um, in the first ODI that uh, the Netherlands actually won in 48.1 overs. The Thai women conceded seven extras, uh, one leg by and six wides, uh, compared to 23 extras, 22 wides and one leg by from the Dutch. In the third ODI, uh, which of course the second being washed out, Thailand conceded five extras in 27.5 overs, three leg buyers, two wides, compared to 14 extras in 50 overs from the Dutch, uh, one leg by, one no ball, and 12 wides. Uh, and then in the first two T20s that they played uh, against Scotland, uh, when they bowled them out in 19.1 overs, there were just four extras, three buyers, and one leg by. Compared to 10 extras in 10.2 overs from Scotland, two leg buyers, one no ball, and seven wides. And in the most recent match uh, that we've seen so far, the Dutch bowled eight extras or wides uh, compared to three extras in 18.1 overs from Thailand, one leg by and two wides. So uh, in every game, the bowling attack has been comprehensively better in terms of extras and uh, yes they've lost a couple of games but as we've seen with so much success over the last few years over the long term bowling a lot fewer extras is going to create a lot more results for you uh moving on to some international cricket back in africa namibia hosting uganda for a t20 series and two 50 over matches neither of the formats here being played under international status uganda don't have odi status and the T20s, it was agreed not to be played as T20Is. Uh, but looking at the scores that were Namibia wins in all four of the T20 matches and then a win in the first 50-over game. Uh, as we do record, the second 50-over match has not been played out. It's due to be played on the 13th. So by the time you probably listen to this, uh, that match will be either ongoing or over it's a tough one for us to kind of gauge, especially without T20I status. It means that we're not really too sure what the end game is here for for both teams, looking maybe to blood some different players or play players who aren't quite yet eligible for, for either country, perhaps. No T20I ranking points to, to speak of here. We know that uh, African qualifying will, will come up relatively soon, so it's good preparation on that front at least. But uh, I start, started, I think, with some, some somber news, Nick, and Uganda having to, to reshuffle some players with, with things that ultimately happened outside of their control. Yes, so between the first and the second of the T20 matches, uh, Simon Sasazi and Henry Senyondo had to fly home, and he, they joined Lawrence Sempidja, uh, who's the assistant coach of the women's team, the Victoria Pearls, as their mother died. Um, yeah, so they had to they had to fly home. Um, so our condolences to them and and to Ugandan cricket. Um, yeah, I mean, a, a bit strange that these matches don't have status when the corresponding matches, you know, last year, which, I mean, it's good that Uganda are being invited back after a pretty encouraging showing uh, last year. You know, it it is a bit strange that they were T20Is last time and and they're not this time. I'm I'm not sure what the thinking was behind that. Yeah, so, I mean, it's maybe a little bit uh, hard to gauge whether the, the Ugandans are a bit distracted, you know, with the sad news in the camp. But, yeah, so the first match, Namibia won pretty comfortably they posted 191 for six which uganda failed to chase they they got to 165 for four second match uh, namibia posted 196 for four which uganda didn't get close to bowled out for 123 uh the third match was a high scoring thriller with uganda scoring 203 for six which namibia chased with five wickets and one ball to spare uh, and then the fourth t20 namibia posted 186 for seven uh, and uganda lost by 11 runs, posting 175 for six in their 20 overs. And yeah, in that first one day, Namibia really uh, put them to the sword, bowled them out for 127 and then chased it. No wickets down (laughs) inside 25 overs. So yeah, I mean, kind of what we saw last time these two teams met, Namibia just a little bit ahead, but Uganda not 
too far behind. One interesting little thread here is JJ Smith's back. Uh, he hit 49 off not very many deliveries in one of the T20s. He hasn't bowled so far, so it'll be interesting to see if he does take the ball uh, or if they're sort of possibly uh, thinking about easing him back into a, more of a role as a batter. Uh, I think he can probably do that, uh, you know, just sort of slot in somewhere down the order and especially in T20 play play that finisher role although you know if his if his bowling is gone then that is definitely a loss for the Namibians because yeah he's he's very handy yeah but some good signs obviously uh Her Erasmus in the runs of course for Namibia scoring over 200 runs in in the four T20 matches Jan Freilink hit 90 odd in one of those games uh, off very few deliveries which was also uh, kind of interesting maybe he's being primed to go up the order a little bit. He, he's batting in the top seven, top six uh, in all of these. Nico Darwin got one score, but yeah, kind of most mostly the names you, you sort of suspect uh, you would see. Um, and then uh, Lohan Lawrence coming back uh, for the 50 over stuff, which which is also good to see because I, you know I think he's in their best 11 uh, as an opener. On the Ugandan side, Dinesh Nakrani hit a ton uh, in that game where they posted 200. Robinson Abuya for for Uganda, young opener coming in, he's promising as well. Uh, you know, a lot of guys who who are kind of sort of there or thereabouts uh, around the fringes of the side, maybe played some some underage stuff. So yeah. Some, some talent coming through. Uganda, as, as we've said in the past, they're one of the chasing pack in, in the African region. And again, they're showing that they've, they've actually got a decent amount of depth here with you know a few guys having to go home and, and uh, some more talent coming through as well. Uh, Ramjani back in the team as well. Another spin option re- replacing Senyondo. So yeah, I'm still pretty happy with where Uganda are. It just would have been nice to see them get over the line in, in maybe one of the games. Yeah, that... Dinesh Nakrani innings would have been a sight to behold. 110 off 45 deliveries, ultimately in a losing side. That had a bit of a knack, actually, of these two teams playing a couple of really high-scoring matches that Uganda really do push the likes of Namibia along. And I think they get a lot out of it. I'm pretty sure, you know, for memory, they... They claimed a couple of victories the last time these two teams met in Namibia as well. So the gap between these two particular teams, I believe, is smaller than it might have been, say, three or four years ago. Namibia is in an interesting spot at the moment, you know, knowing that they weren't good enough at the qualifier playoff. But, you know, hand on heart, there was every chance that they didn't need to go to that tournament. It was just that Nepal was so strong at the end of that League 2 cycle. And then in the playoff, they had players injured and, and missing. So... Nice little chance for Namibia to rebuild here. And I think both uh, sides got quite a lot out of this this tour. I know that many would probably bemoan the fact that the T20 matches weren't T20Is. But yeah, look, ultimately, if, if this gets them a little bit further along, then uh, I don't think we should have really any qualms with, with what's going on. I think that's everything in the Emerging Game this week, Nick, unless you had uh, anything to add. No, no. Another busy week of the Emerging Cricket Podcast again. It's a huge congratulations to the Dutch qualifying for India 2023. We'll have all the news and I suppose all the the fallout of of everything going on in the the build-up to that tournament and the tournament itself now with an associate member inside. I I think it might have been a quiet World Cup for us otherwise, but thankfully um, we've got uh, a really busy period for, for the Dutch there and, and looking forward to that immensely. But glad to be joined by you, Nick. We'll hear from Tim hopefully on next week's show coming back from Durban. But uh, in the meantime, goodbye, Nick, and goodbye to everyone in the emerging cricket world.